Well, hey, everybody, and welcome, 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 whoever you are, wherever you're from, in your home or on your phone, and maybe in person at our Edgewood campus or our Abingdon campus or our Mountain Road campus, wherever you are, whoever you are, really glad you're here. You know, we're coming up on our Coronaversary, right? Can you believe it? One year ago almost, we're just a couple weeks shy, is when all this craziness started for us, right? And I remember that week, you probably do too, how we scrambled around, we figured out, well, we'll go online this weekend, and then we recorded a message to get out to everybody to say, here's the plan. Do, you, do any of you guys remember that message? Here's the first few seconds of the first COVID um, recording that we gave to everybody. Here's a flashback, watch this. What are we gonna do now? What are we gonna do now? That's the question that everyone seems to be asking as this situation with the coronavirus keeps changing hour by hour. You know, that, that made me, um, it made me think about uh, this, this time when that question, what are we gonna do now? was on everyone's mind as well. You go back to Jesus' ministry. So after his life and his death and his resurrection, he's gathered with his disciples one time. And in Acts chapter one, Jesus kind of tells them, listen, I, I, I want, I'm gonna be leaving in, in my bodily form with you, but I want you to wait a little bit because I'm gonna send my spirit. And he told them over and over, he would send his Holy Spirit to be like a guide, a counselor, a friend, uh, to be with them and to fill them, empower them. But he says, now wait a little bit. Acts chapter one, verse eight, looks like this. He says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's like the last thing he said to them when he was on the earth. And so if you can kind of picture it, one minute these guys are hanging out with Jesus and it's awesome because it's like he's back and it says they're eating meals. He's, hang, he's hanging out with them like six weeks. And it's awesome. But then all of a sudden everything changes on a dime. And the Bible says that he's taken up from them away like into a cloud and out of sight ascended gone. And it's this real intense scene. If you can picture this, verse 10, it says, here are these guys. One second, they're talking to Jesus. And then it says, they were looking up intently into the sky as he was going. <laughs> can you just see it? There's like literally just like, and they're standing there staring, probably with their mouths hanging open, stunned, probably feeling a little stuck and just in that moment, everything changed. And this last year, you know, we've all had moments like that. Every one of us has. A friend of mine, his marriage of 20 years during COVID fell apart. And now he and his wife and his ex-wife and his kids are saying, what are we going to do now? Standing there staring. I have a business that a buddy of mine runs and and. It's, it got hit really hard and all the reserves are running low and he's got employees to pay and bills to cover and he's like, what am I going to do now? Young lady was going to go to college. She even had a scholarship. But something about the quarantining and pulling away kind of just made her withdrawn and disconnected and she just told her parents, I, I'm not going to college. And they're all just wondering, what am I going to do now? You got your stuff. I got my stuff. And you know, Mountain as a church, as we come on this coronaversary, we, we've got our own stuff. 
that started with all this craziness and this moment of what are we going to do now? And we're kind of in one of those moments right now where we're standing and, and, and staring because things are changing again. And we can kind of sense it, can't you? You know, the virus is still very real, but the numbers are decreasing and the vaccines are increasing and and the intensity seems to be diminishing and optimism seems to be rising, isn't it? You can kind of sense it. Schools are going to be reopening. Spring sports are going to be resuming. Restaurants are refilling. Even my mother-in-law says that... um, Puzzle night is returning to the retirement home where she lives, right? With a little disinfectant added. And Mountain is into this new phase as well. Like the one we've held on to, Jesus, who's been an anchor to our soul during the storm, has now untied us from the dock and is pushing us off into a new place to set sail toward a vision. And we're regathering. There's a new energy and excitement. And even those who are online, those numbers are growing. And there's a re-engagement that people are having in our online world, like spiritual quarantine is ending and yet it's all so up in the air and confusing and our rhythms and our routines are still out in the open we're all kind of collectively just like still sort of staring like stunned and stuck and saying what are we going to do now just like we were a year ago so I love this passage because in the passage God doesn't let the guys stand there wondering very long instead the Bible says that He sends two men dressed in white, not men in black. That's a different movie. This is men in white who come there as messengers from God like angels or something. And they say in verse 11, men of Galilee, talking to the disciples, men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking into the sky? I love that. It's sort of like, it's like, you know, they're they're staring this and this guy's like, kind of like, hey, woohoo, woohoo, hello, down here. What, what, What are you, what are you doing? Staring up there, looking for Jesus up in the sky. Have you forgotten everything he just told you? Has it just sort of escaped your mind, everything? Snap out of it. You already know what to do. And that same Jesus, the scripture says, you know, he's going to return. But until then, he told you to wait. He's going to send his spirit. And then you got a job to do. And I bet that jogged their memories. And they remember the last thing he'd said, just like, Five minutes in front of that was Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that's for a purpose, so that you can fulfill my mission to be witnesses of mine all over, here, there, and everywhere. So you mean we're, we're not supposed to stand here and stare? No. You got a job to do. And friends, shortly after that, you turn your your Bible page, one, one page into Acts chapter two in that historic moment when some of those disciples were gathered for the early day of Pentecost and it happened just like Jesus said. The Holy Spirit that he promised came and it filled every one of them. And they were like, it's happening. And friends, I believe with all my heart, we're in, we're in one of these moments just like that. This is our time. This is our time to be filled with the Spirit. This is our time to remember everything we know about who Jesus taught us to be, how he taught us to think, how he taught us to live and act. And we don't have to stand staring and just keep asking, what are we going to do? Because he's helped us and told us over and over again. And on that day of Pentecost, the way that played out is they all got filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and Peter, you know, he stood up and said, this promise He said, um, every one of you can repent and be baptized 
for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ and you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he said that promise is not just for those in the room but for those who will come after you and come after you and come after you. And he's talking about us. And those who accepted and were baptized numbered about 3,000 that day. They wanted to stand staring and stymied and stunned. But Jesus said, no, you wait for the Spirit. And the Spirit came. And he gave them the gifts and he gave them everything. He gave them the mission. He's given us a job to do too. And they got after it. Acts 2.42 says what they did is they devoted themselves right after that. They devoted themselves. They made a commitment to what? To the apostles' teaching and to one another, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers, their worship and all that stuff. What's the apostles' teaching? What did they devote themselves to? They made a commitment to Jesus. That's what the apostles' teaching was, to Jesus and what he taught. They made a commitment to everything that he said about how to think and how to be and how to live. And when they did that, with that spirit in them, it created a movement of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And it got traction in super tricky times, just like it, it's going to get traction in these tricky times. And it took off and began to grow. And friends, this is our moment, not to stand and stare into the sky and just wonder, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? But to remember that we already know what to do and it's time to make a commitment. It's time to devote ourselves to the same Jesus that they did. So we're going to have a time of commitment even today. I'm going to urge you just to open your heart for whatever it is God would lead you to. And I love how it says at the end of that passage, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord, only God can really build his church, right? Only God can change a heart. Only God can grant forgiveness. Only God can make a sinner into a saint. Only God can, can you know, cure a body or heal an addiction or save a marriage like that. But when does that happen? God does his part when we do ours, when we devote ourselves, when we make commitments that God can bless and we don't have to sit around wondering what those were. And that's what this whole series is about. It's called Wish You Were Here, where it's like whatever's going on in our lives through COVID and everything else, Jesus is over here calling us and saying, man, I wish you were here. We want to talk about some commitments today in our time to, to devote ourselves to three commitments that will just describe what people who are filled with the Spirit and actually follow Jesus look like. And before we dive into those three commitments, I'm going to remind us why this is so important, and here it is. Because we have a spiritual enemy. Like we're not just sort of floating out here on our own. We, we actually have someone who is real and sinister and powerful and forcefully at work against you, against us, against families, against churches. 1 Peter 5.8 describes it this way. Stay alert. Stay alert and watch out for your great enemy. The devil who prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's a serious threat and anybody who doesn't think so or take it seriously is just foolish. But scripture says in the next verse, verse 9, we can stand firm against him and be strong in our faith. It goes on to say that after you struggle, we can be restored through all this because all power goes to God. Greater is he that is in you and me than he that is in the world. That doesn't stop the enemy from wanting to devour us, take a bite out of us. And that's why these commitments really matter. So here they are. Three commitments that if you want to be a spirit-filled Jesus follower, you'll be ready and willing to make 
because they define us. So first, our enemy is prowling around and he wants to devour us by dividing us. And our first commitment then has to be to grace-based unity. Grace-based unity. Because we can all, come on, let's be honest, we can all feel the division at work around us, right? We can all feel this. It's like, the, it's like Frodo's ring in the Lord of the Rings. It's this invisible force that just has this drawing sort of invisible power that pulls people apart and severs ties. I've talked to people who've lost so many relationships through the months of COVID over all this stuff that's going on, this undercurrent in our society. I remember pastoring through 9-11 20 years ago now. I remember that. Foreign terrorists took thousands of lives in New York City and D.C. and Pennsylvania, right? But you know what? That crisis brought people together. I mean, we rallied in support together around police and firefighters. I remember Republicans and Democrats gathered at the U.S. Capitol holding hands and singing, God bless America. And now that all just seems like such an impossible dream, doesn't it? A distant one. Because the present crisis, we all know, seems to have had the opposite effect. Instead of uniting, it's divided us. And it was that way from the beginning, right? It's like COVID's a hoax. No, it's a serious threat. Or, or, or people who said, you know, when churches discontinue gathering, some says, that's wrong. Where's your faith? And others said, no, it's right. Where's your love? And we still have people that disagree about all that. And in the aftermath of the horrific killings of George Floyd and others, everyone seemed to agree that it was a horrible thing, but immediately in the aftermath, as the sin of racism got exposed and arguments about how to deal with injustice in society began to be discussed, in the weeks that followed, there was so much raw hurt and emotion and pain that oozed out, and then the disagreements and the accusations and the fighting and so little listening and learning and understanding and coming together in unity, and our enemy was just prowling around on Facebook and in the news and in her hearts, devouring and dividing again and again and he's still doing it and then we just kept finding more and more ways to shout louder about masks or no masks in person school or not in person school and then the election came and it didn't get better and then the events at the capitol and all the opinions about that it seems like we're just on the brink of uncivil war and meanwhile the church is feeling the pain of it i'm feeling the pain of it you are too and the evil one, if he can influence the way we think and act in these situations, he know he's neutralized the church. Because you can't be influenced that way and also filled with the Spirit and actually following Jesus. And so when we cling tenaciously to our opinions and put our hope in ultimate ways, in political perspectives and societal ideologies that seem so important that they're the thing we're most devoted to. Satan laughs and Jesus weeps because he called us to unity. He prayed for our unity and that we would devote ourselves, make a commitment to grace-based unity. You can, you can just know that's what Jesus' followers do. We don't get to act however we want to act and then continue to slap the label Christian on ourselves. Because people who are legit filled with the Spirit and legit followers of Jesus will be clearly evidenced in the same way Jesus was with grace-based unity. And you can see in John chapter 17 on the night that Jesus was betrayed and 
falsely accused. He's in a desperate situation. What does he do? He prays for grace-based unity. Did you know that? John 17, he says, I'm praying, Father, not only for these disciples who are like in the room at the time, but I'm praying for all who will ever believe in me. That's you and me. He was praying for us. And what does he pray? Verse 21, I pray that they will all be, what's the word? One. He prayed for unity, just as you and I are one. And he goes on to say that they may be in us so that, why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. So that the world may believe. Don't miss how important it is to Jesus as he thinks about the future of the church throughout all of history and all of the satanic attacks that would come on us. The number one thing on the top of his prayer list is grace-based unity for you and me. And this is our chance and our moment to answer that prayer for Jesus. We're, we're praying to Jesus to answer our prayers all the time. This is one time he wants us to answer this prayer for him. When we devour each other, we're doing the devil's work and we're weakening the church. And Jesus never says, I want you to let the world know that you'll be my disciples by your social media posts and comments, just by by the way you criticize and gripe about those who disagree with you and demean people made in my image and let everyone know that what you really stand for, you know, know, when you really let your politics or your posture out there in an ugly way, people will be so drawn to that, you know, if you complain loud enough. No, he never says any of that. He says the world will believe when you're one. The beautiful thing is that doesn't mean uniformity. We're not all the same and we can celebrate our beautiful differences and even we can allow for our frustrating disagreements because our unity isn't based on those things, on lining up all those details. It isn't. Our politics and our procedure, our policies or who we want as president, none of that. Our unity is based on the good news that God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ whom we call Lord, and that holds us together. Now, a lot of people love this idea of unity, but they don't know how much work it is. And it's, it's work, isn't it? That's why the Bible actually says in Ephesians, you've got to strive for unity. And you can't do that without this sort of basing it on grace. Today, we live in a culture that doesn't really love grace very much. If someone offends someone else in our culture today, or if, um, you know, someone makes a mistake, what do we do? We cancel them. We even call it cancel culture. That's where we live now. And in a cancel culture where you can just write everybody off, the dominant drivers are, are shame and guilt and ridicule and collective bullying and those who, have feel, who feel they've been put down for so long finally rising up in power to, to, to become the new bully. And, and, and who doesn't love seeing your enemies finally get it? I do. Of course we all do. The only problem is we follow a Jesus who didn't say hate your enemies. He didn't even say tolerate your enemies. He teaches us to love our enemies. And this is such a challenge and so bombastic to some people that they say, I'm not doing that. But they still go around pasting the name Christian on them, which is confusing to Jesus, I'm sure. But friends, what Jesus brings to the table is this radically different thing called grace, which sort of turns the tables on everything. It changes our status from sinner to forgiven and a community of cancel culture to the cross culture. And that's who we are. We're shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ who gave up his rights and his privilege and his 
preferences in order to go to the cross and on the cross, Jesus cancels shame and Jesus cancels guilt and Jesus cancels the need to ridicule and get revenge with the greater power of love and grace because when he canceled our sin and debt, he invited us into a cross-shaped community which is better than a cancel culture any day and the world is dying to see examples of it. And we've got to devote ourselves to that, to be a grace-based unity kind of community. And I hope you'll do your part. You know, the other thing we've got to devote ourselves to comes as a result of how Satan is not just, you know, trying to devour us in general. He's trying to distract us and get us diverted from what we're really called to. But we're going to commit to being a mission-driven ministry in our lives and in our church. We're going to commit to being a mission-driven ministry. Like it's just easy to get stuck and say, what are we going to do and get so preoccupied? But remember when Jesus, before he ascended, that final session with them, he said, you'll be my witnesses. He gave them a job to do. And that, that is the purpose of every church and this church for 200 years at Mountain. And the way we summarize it here is simple. Make disciples more and better disciples. And that's who we are and what we're called to do. And you know, the world has changed so much, but our mission has not changed. Some of the methods have changed. We talk about the, the, the digital initiatives and the things that are kicking up with kids' ministry. It's all so creative and amazing. I, I love the, the way that we're so flexible with some of the strategies and the programs and we're using technology and digital ministry will be part of our future moving forward like things have changed that'll never go back completely. So many methods have changed, but the mission and the message have not, cannot, and will not change. 